0: you're not always going to have amazing ideas because you can't. I maybe have one amazing idea per week at this point. I write every day. I read every day. I maybe have one really good idea a week, but I need to keep creating and I'm trying to be consistent and put things out that people find value in. And so if you can repurpose old things, if you can take a slightly different angle on old things that you created and use that to drive value for people and keep the engine going and keep your kind of consistency within the algorithm
1: rolling, it's super powerful. In this episode, I talked to Sahil Bloom. Now, Sahil's a repeat guest on the show. I had him on about seven months ago, eight months ago. Uh, He has doubled his audience from already a large number since then. Uh, He's gone full-time as a creator. He had a full-time job when he first came on. And we just talk about a lot of different things. I've probably learned more from Sahil uh, the last like three months, last six months, maybe than any other person. And so it's really fun to have him back on, get to riff on uh, Twitter growth, monetization, growing a podcast, news... I was going to say newsletters, I actually uh, try to live sell him on switching to ConvertKit uh, with moderate success, maybe. We'll see. You be the judge of how well, uh, how well I did in convincing him to switch over. Um, I guess we'll all find out uh, if he uh, if he switches or not. Um, anyway, so I think you'll enjoy the show. Sahil's one of those people that I'd love to have on every six months or every year because uh, he's just putting out incredible content and I learn so much from him every time. So uh, enjoy the episode. And make sure to, you know, like, subscribe, all of those things, because it helps more people find the show. Thanks. So welcome back to the show. Oh, man, it feels good to be back,
0: Nathan. I, um, since last time, I have turned around my desk in the other direction. (laughs) So prior in the prior example, I think I was like right behind, like I had a painting right behind my head and I was like up against a wall. It looked like I was taking a mugshot or something.
1: Now I have my nice background. I feel much more at ease. That's right. So the background has changed. I feel like a ton of stuff in your life has changed since we last recorded. Like,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Let's, uh, let's get back <laughs> to the highlights and then we'll, we'll dive into a few of these.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to remember when it was that we actually recorded. I had definitely moved to the East Coast. So it was probably, I don't know, it must have been like July,
1: August of 2021. Yeah, maybe around then. So only like seven, eight months ago, somewhere in there.
0: Yeah. But you know, the internet age, man, things move fast. (laughs) So it's, uh, it's been a whirlwind. It's, um, I don't know. Let's see. So I, uh, officially transitioned out of my like prior full-time role that I had, I guess that would be a big one.
1: Yeah. You're working full-time as a, as a VC.
0: I was at a private equity fund. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was great. But it uh, you know, it was time and ready for ready for a change a little bit. Um, and I'm still an advisor to that firm, but largely kind of out of the day to day. you know, the big stuff that has progressed has been on all of the kind of media and brand building stuff, I suppose. I mean, I think the Twitter following has exploded and is is much larger than it was then. Um, do you know, just newsletter the that do you know, do you remember what it was? like. Area, uh, you had a lot. Like 2, I mean, 000? I can pull it up pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, I think I hit I think I think hit 300 in October. I tracked this pretty, like, I'm a data nerd. I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like <laughs> oh, a yes. data nerd. And so I actually, I can actually just check. So in July, I was at 230, um, okay. so 230,000. So it's almost doubled. Uh, yeah, well, actually more than insane. doubled, sorry. I'm at 490 now um, oh, wow. as we're recording this. You're so, adding, like... Fifty thousand a month almost? Yeah, 50 a month. Um, the last That's few crazy. months. I mean, I hit it took <laughs> I mean, it took I started my first Twitter account in like twenty eleven. It took until I really started in May of twenty twenty. And so from there I went from like five hundred to my first hundred thousand took from May of twenty twenty to January twenty-one. The next hundred thousand went from like took from January to uh May, um, and so like five ish months, and then the the two hundred to three hundred went from May until I don't know October, and then it went like from three hundred to five hundred. It's just been from October to now, so it's definitely yeah. accelerated, um, which is crazy. Do You have a good party plan for five hundred. You know, you got to have a party right? plan. I don't know, <laughs> man. I was uh, I was thinking about funny things to do. Like we're recording this a few days before Valentine's Day. I was thinking about doing something fun where like if I hit 500 before Valentine's Day, I'll pay for like five people's Valentine's Day dinners, like five of my followers who share something. Um, Just do something fun because I do feel I feel very grateful. And it's funny that people have gifted me with their attention at this level. Um, But I mean, the numbers just make no sense to me anymore. It was like I remember so distinctly when I got my first five thousand um, and thinking like, holy shit, I'm sorry. Apologize if I'm not supposed to curse okay. here, but thinking, ho- thinking, holy shit, I can't believe 5,000 people follow me and actually care what I say. Um, right. and so now when I look at it, I'm just like, I it's I can't comprehend that. It's, it's, um, it's really crazy to me. So I feel very grateful, but, um, you know, between that and the newsletter has continued to build, I hit, um, uh, big milestone this morning at 69,420. Um, that which was, is a big milestone.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: felt like, felt like a big milestone. So that has continued to build. That's been fun. And then we launched the podcast, which was, re- which has been really, really cool. And we're going to have to get you on for an episode too, by the oh, way. That'd be great. Um, now I've been on yours twice and I need to have you on to, to talk about the billion dollar <laughs> creator. Um, so a lot of fun stuff. Um, and I have, an announcement that I will soon be making on a, on the investing front of something that I'm working on there as well. So, man, just nice. a lot of cool things, and I feel very, very grateful. And and a new baby coming. <laughs> That's probably the biggest. <laughs> Although I think I did, now I'm gonna get I'm gonna get smoked for having that not be one of the things. By the way, if my <laughs> wife listens to this, I'm gonna get killed. Um, I feel like that was probably already.
1: I no, it wasn't. It, it yet, definitely wasn't. It yeah. definitely
0: wasn't because I didn't find. It. I found out on September 11th. Um, well, I remember, which I remember very distinctly. Obviously, yep. um, yeah, no. So I have it. Yes. Yeah, so that's the big news. I have my uh, baby boy
1: due in, uh, due in May. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah so a lot has changed. Uh, there's so much stuff that I want to dive into. But one fun thing with having a podcast is that you like you get to bring people in to like have checkpoints in the story and you know, people talk about like who has really high trajectory and your trajectory just as a creator is insane. And so I love having like you back on to talk through this and there's all kinds of stuff, right? You and I are texting about like random things happening in, in the market or what's working for Twitter growth. And so it's like, all right, we just got to make this happen on an episode. Uh, so everyone totally. else can tune in. Yeah. And hopefully people can learn things from it that, uh, you know, that I haven't
0: written about or talked about and that you haven't, I know you, I mean, you're, one of my favorite follows on Twitter now because I feel like I'm learning so much about the broader creator landscape and also like tips, tricks, real things that are happening alongside all of the stuff you share about just like building in public and bootstrapping businesses. And so I enjoy it too. Cause I feel like it helps me clarify my own
1: thinking about a bunch of these growth principles. Yeah, that's good. What are some of the things that, you know, as you look back on the the last eight months or so since we last recorded Um, what, what are some of the habits, right? Or the systems where you're like, oh, this is where it really started to pay off because, you know, this took off or I showed up consistently in this way. Any of that?
0: Yeah. I started taking two things very seriously. Um, and it's really been over the last six months when my kind of time was unlocked a little bit from transitioning out of my prior job. And the two things for me were one, um, a daily, consumption and I'm trying to think what the right word is to say around it, a daily consumption habit that was tied to um, note-taking alongside it, like a slow Mm -hmm. methodical consumption habit daily. And I'll explain both of these. And then the second one is a daily writing habit. So on the first one, I started basically thinking about consumption that I was doing, content consumption that I was doing as a content engine, as something that was fueling my creation process. And I had always done that in a much looser sense. And I've developed now frameworks and a really tight process around it that allows me to, in a deliberate and really um, repeatable fashion, find, source, um, and distill novel Mm -hmm. insights from things I'm creating that become the content that I'm then producing. And um, what I mean by that is I, I literally just now have a process. I read for an hour a day. That's kind of like, full stop for me every single morning. I'll read for an hour. It's the first thing I do. Um, and I read different things, but you know, newsletters, articles, uh, newspaper pieces, podcasts that I might listen to, different things like that every single morning. Um, and now I have a system and I use Notion, but I'm starting to look at potentially using Obsidian or other things where no. I'm actually able to kind of pull as I'm doing that reading, slow down and pull out the things that kind of sparked my interest, the little novel insights, the points that made me go, hmm, or wow, whatever it was that those then become the seeds of the things that I'm writing about. And so I've developed now a system around that. And then the other piece to that, which is the second thing I mentioned is a daily writing habit. And I actually learned this from you, which was, you just need to create more yeah. and, and have that spark. And so I just have a time blocked every day when I just write. And I don't force myself to write about a specific thing. I don't have in mind before I go into it actually what I'm going to be writing about. I just look at my notion board of all the things that I was reading, consuming that sparked my interest, the little novel insights and find what grabs me on that day. And sometimes it grabs me so much that I end up producing and completing a piece that I'm putting out. Sometimes it's just, I kind of wrote somewhat aimlessly for 30 or 45 minutes. Um, But the daily act and the daily habit I've
1: developed around it has been a massive, massive game changer for me. Yeah, I love that. What's an example of a piece of content maybe that's gone from, you know, the spark or the input or a couple of those things that have come together all the way through to, You know, a finished piece, either a Twitter thread or a newsletter article or something else.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, I would say, like, recently in the fall, I had a couple pieces I did around, like, Evergrande, Mm -hmm. um, the Chinese property developer that collapsed, the supply chain crisis, the Chinese energy crisis. And all of those were examples of things where I was reading, you know, my daily kind of um, reading around the economy or, um, geopolitics or whatever it was. And these things, these common themes kept coming up. And so I was reading it with that in mind, thinking like, what is the novel insight that I can bring to this discussion that makes it more interesting, that makes it more real? And so I was kind of like over a period of week or maybe even two weeks in certain cases, pulling out little insights from things I read and logging it into my notion board. And then I eventually had enough where I sat down and said like, okay, I have enough and I have an angle on this that's different that people haven't been writing about. And like in the Evergrande case, that was the psychological side to one of these collapses. You know, everyone talked about the technical side and having too much debt and how they were overlevered, but no one was really talking about the psychological perspective on it. And so I like taking that angle, finance and psychology, yep. I find like the intersection very interesting. And so um, that was how it kind of progressed from being these insights that I was pulling out from the reading to, okay, I've written a little bit about different pieces of this. Let me pull something together that finds a real story and narrative arc that I can then go create and
1: and put out for people. Yeah, I like that. And I mean, all that content did super well, because it was very, very timely. How much of that is a factor? Like, obviously, the things you're consuming are often timely. And then if you're writing yeah. about it, you know, but then like when you write about Evergrande, right, everyone's talking about it right in that moment. And so I'm watching your, your Twitter thread take off in a crazy way, you know, or supply chain. Yeah. How much you try to like engineer that?
0: Yeah, so I would say I generally try to bucket content into two buckets. It's either timely or it's evergreen, mm-hmm. um, and I think about that when I'm thinking about what I write about. You know, if there's something that is very time sensitive, like the evergreen one, it was hitting a peak when I posted. And so I captured the news cycle. It was like right into the news cycle. And my thing was like the first search on Google. If you had searched Evergrande the day when it was out, my thread popped up on Google, which is nuts to me on the first page. So it was like really getting a ton of views. Many billion dollar
1: international firm. And you're like, my thread. (laughs) Insane,
0: (laughs) insane. Um, The reach of these things. But like, it was because I stuck it straight into this, like the center of this news cycle. And so I will always prior like if there is something that's timely and you need to hit it, I will make sure that gets there because the thread on uh, an evergreen principle around growth or around procrastination, like a recent right. one I wrote that can be released anytime. Like procrastination's not going away, unfortunately, <laughs> or like, you know, whatever people's desire to grow or make better decisions, cognitive biases, logical fallacies, other things I write about, those never really go out of style and they're going to exist. Uh, the way I've actually separated it as I tend to do the evergreen stuff on a Saturday, like on the weekend mm-hmm. and more timely stuff falls during the week. And the reason I originally did that was because people are typically tracking news cycle stuff during the week. And the weekend yep. is when they're like reset. You're kind of ready to like maybe read something that you feel like is improving you that you can grow around and you have more, more headspace
1: to actually think about it and do it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask about that. Cause I text you all the time with like, uh, Twitter questions or like, here's the thread I'm going to put out. Like, what should the, what should the hook be? And you're like, no, 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 not like that, like this, you know, which, (laughs) which I appreciate. And it's paid off in my Twitter growth, right? Of, yeah, you're crushing it. I I think I've uh, added, I don't know, 20,000 followers since the last time we recorded this episode, which, um, you know, on a percentage basis is pretty good. Um, you talk about like you specifically like to post threads on like Saturday or Sunday morning. Why, why the difference between the weekend and the the weekday? What are you seeing in the data?
0: What I see is um, people have a higher likelihood of reading something long on a weekend than on a weekday. I think about it personally. I put all of these things in the context of myself where during the week, I never, I almost never read a full thread. I'll save it and maybe I read it late at night, You know, eight hours later, 12 hours later, or maybe I read it on the weekend. And um, that's just because I'm busy. And like all of us, we have jobs, we're doing things, we're creating or whatever it is that we're doing. Um, And so I think unless it is highly topical and related to something that the person is trying to learn right then because it's relevant, um, it's actually hard to get someone to read something longer form during the week. And I Mm -hmm. think what happens, Twitter's algorithm based and so, if a lot of people do that, if they send it to themselves to read later, or they bookmark it or whatever, that doesn't help with the virality of that thread or the ability for it to catch on and be shown to a lot of people. Um, weekends, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, might be having a coffee. Maybe you're hanging out with your family, doing whatever, you're scrolling and you have time um, and hopefully you have more headspace to actually think about things and dive into something. And so what I've found typically is that those evergreen things do much better when you post them on a weekend morning than if you're posting them into the week and you're like hitting a news cycle, maybe there's something going on um, that's different. Like, I, I mean, I've posted things that I thought were exceptional on a weekday, and i posted it into like a seven and a half percent inflation print that everyone was going right. crazy over and it's like oh you're shit out of luck you just post and you wasted it probably right. you're like
1: here's why you shouldn't procrastinate and people are like forget procrastination like yeah exactly my, all my money in my bank is leave, like losing value yeah, i just lost all my damn money or you know whatever <laughs> it is like the stock market crashed a few weeks ago and i had
0: posted something um, that was unrelated and the market was down like four percent everyone was freaking out about that and so you, um, you know, I I do think it's worth being thoughtful about those kind of things because it matters. And if your goal is to have, my goal has never been driven around the growth of my following. I always thought that that was a natural byproduct of creating value for people. Yeah. And if you're creating value for people, they share it. And if they share it, more people see that and hopefully find value from it and they follow you. And so my whole goal is to reach people and I wanna create value for a lot of people. And so if that's your goal, then you should be thoughtful about the way that you're playing that distribution game, and so that you are getting in front of the most people that you can.
1: Yeah, oh, that's interesting. And and you know another thing that I've learned from you and Nick Huber is if you post something and it doesn't take off, actually, if you post something and it does take off, either way, you can repost it a month or three months later. You know, tweak the hook, or even don't even tweak it. Like the number of times that I've written stuff that did okay the first time. And that, you know, or it got posted into a a busy, you know, a busy day on Twitter. Uh, And then I reposted it later and it did so much better or it did the same. Like, no one is like, I think I've read this before. Are you repeating yourself? Everyone's like, oh, great. This is amazing content. Thank you. (laughs) It's funny that you mentioned Nick because I learned that from Nick. Um,
0: Nick has posted that Donald Trump tax loophole thread eight times maybe. I mean, honestly, seriously, I think every two months. And every time it does several thousand likes and probably gets him a thousand followers. Um, I think I've read
1: it three times. Like,
0: yeah, because it's interesting and evergreen and it's like got interesting real estate insights and yep. I, like I've read it several times for sure. And I still don't know that I fully comprehend all this stuff, but I read it. Um, And he was the one that told me that. And so then I started trying it out and I changed it up somewhat or I'll update the hook or for me, my writing has just gotten so much better. And so right. I'll take something that I wrote six months ago and I'll look at it and be like, holy hell, man, I was a bad writer. This wasn't tight. And I'll, so I'll tighten things up and make it better. I also have Twice as many followers as we discussed, and so right. for me, I'm always looking at it, saying, "There's a lot of people that actually just haven't seen that thing that I put out six months ago, or that idea, and especially if the idea is evergreen, right? Great, uh, I want I want more people to see it, and it'll get shared again. So I've done that. I mean, I've done it pretty consistently since Nick talked about it with me, um, and I've done it more around things that I think are kind of evergreen, like. Cognitive biases or logical fallacies things that I think about on a daily basis, decision making frameworks, stuff like that. Um, but I've seen people do it effectively with story threads. I've seen people do it effectively with things like Nick, where it's like a unique insight, earned insight driven thread. Um, but it all goes into that same principle of like create once, sell 10 times. Yep. I mean, I'm doing it now much more effectively with LinkedIn, where I'm kind of taking content that I know hit on Twitter and sharing it to LinkedIn, and my LinkedIn audience has. 5x in the last couple of months as a result of that. And so it's, um, I think it's just like a core principle to being a creator is you need to get the max leverage on the content you produce. And you're not always going to have amazing ideas, because you can't, I, I maybe have a one amazing idea per week. At this point, I write every day, I read every day, I maybe have one really good idea a week. But I need to keep creating and I'm trying to be consistent and put things out that people find value in. And so if you can repurpose old things, if you can take a slightly different angle on old things that you created and use that to drive value for people and keep the engine going and keep your kind of consistency within the algorithm rolling,
1: it's super powerful. Mm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the threads and content that I've put out over the last you know three months or so that I've been actively working on Twitter is stuff that I wrote years ago on my blog. And I literally just scrolled through my archives and bl- went like, oh, that would make a good thread. And then it's pretty easy to write because <laughs> you already wrote it before. So you're just writing it for a new format. Um, now I think about that That's one of the, I'm,
0: by the way, like, for for newsletter writers, sorry to interrupt you, That for newsletter writers or for people that have written blogs in the past, that's one of the biggest unlocks for Twitter growth that you could possibly mm-hmm. find, is go through your old archives. And I think everyone should do this. If you've been writing, Even if you haven't written it publicly and you've just written it, but if you've written publicly, you know which one's hit. You know which one's got a good response, got likes on Medium or on your newsletter, wherever it was, got views, open rates, good. And so it's de-risked because you already know that people like it and that the topic resonates. Um, And it's very easy to take a newsletter and convert it into a shorter form, cut out unnecessary words, distill it down, put a really good punchy hook on it that grabs people. That's like your landing page can convert people through Mm -hmm. um, and have it really accelerate, take the distribution seriously around it. Um, I think that's, And I've advised a bunch of people to do that as they've started on their Twitter journey, especially to like get through that cold start problem where you don't know what to write about and you're trying to get the engine rolling. It's just a massive, massive advantage if you if you have that out there. When there's also
1: this point and I didn't realize this until watching you and Nick and David Perell and others do it. um, But there's a point where you get to a certain number of uh, hits that you've written. Right. Like my example of this would be my thread on company culture for remote teams. Right, I, I've posted that twice or three times. I can't remember, e- but each time I know it's good for seven hundred to a thousand retweets mm-hmm. because it is topical. Everyone cares about it. It's a great thread. Uh, each time I write it, I like add a couple more. You know, refine yeah. it. But there's this point that I realized of like, wait, I'm gonna get to where I have say ten to twelve good threads um, that I know are like fire. They're gonna kill it every time. And if I post those every six months, every three months, then like actually most of my work on, it's a little bit boring. Right. But I've got ones that we covered forever and I'm not really even doing that much work.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it's a brilliant way to think about it, honestly. And it's, it is again, back to the principle of leverage, right. right? Because you are building a business that is your full-time job is building. What is, you know, going in my opinion, going to become a billion dollar um, business, you know, and, That is your primary focus. Creation is alongside that. And I think a massive lever for you to continue to drive growth because you're going to create a bunch of eyes with it, but you need to figure out how to get leverage on your time around these things and how to get leverage on your resources and your energy. Um, and that's a great way to do it. I mean, you can take that and you can repurpose things and you can, to your point earlier, you're not posting the exact same thing every time you're, you're repurposing it or you're adding ideas to it. The company culture one is amazing too. You didn't say this as a, thing for why it takes off, but it's authentic because you've done that. You've built a remote first company culture. You're focused on asynchronous work. Like those are all real things to you that you've actually lived by. And they're earned insights, which I think on Twitter earned insights is the most powerful thing. You've seen this rise of the, like the people that have built a big following by just like, and it's become a little bit of a meme, but people are, you know, like Just kind of regurgitating things that they haven't actually they're not earned insights and they've grown big followings on the back of it, which kudos to them for like figuring out something that works in the system. And I never will hate on that. I think it's great. Creators Mm -hmm. find a way to if you can find a way to win like that. Great. But I actually think the most durable growth and the most valuable growth is growth that's driven off of your thoughts and real earned insight driven thoughts. Um, and so for you doing that and delivering insights from the journey of building ConvertKit to what? Like an hundred million revenue, you've done a hundred million of revenue or close to it, yeah. um, is amazing.
1: That's so cool that you're sharing that in public. Yeah. Well, and I think just like pulling from those stories or what your unique angle is or any of that, like the more for any creator that they can put their story uh, into something someone was talking about like oh actually this is a conversation we were having internally at ConverKit of like what types of creators do we serve and someone's like well educators and I was like okay everyone is either an educator <laughs> or a storyteller like these are yeah. giant wide buckets you know mm-hmm. uh, y- you either teach or you tell stories and really the best um or sorry you educate or entertain and one common way of entertaining is telling stories. Yeah. But really the best creators are the ones who do both combined. Like, here's this broad principle that you want to understand. Here's how it, like how I came to the insight, you know, and then here's two to three examples of whether it's studies or, you know, other, you know, other people who represent that. And like, as you weave those together, then that's the kind of content that people love and want to follow. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I mean, I I couldn't agree
0: anymore about it. The other thing that I've just as like a trick that I think people should do more, which I do, is I'll put out a thread that has, you know, 20 ideas in it, um, mental models, frameworks, razors, growth principles, life principles, whatever, whatever it yep. is. Um, I will then go look, you know, that I know that that will perform well. That does great for me, that type of content. So I know I am highly confident that a lot of people will see it. Um, I'll then go look and evaluate on an individual basis, how each idea performed relative to the others and the ones that perform the best. I know that that is going to be a stellar individual topic for me to write about because Holy shit, it, you know, rose above the other 19 that were sitting there. And so now all of a sudden I have just this massive repository of ideas that have come out of this stuff that I know are de-risked as content because they already captured people's attention and they worked. And then I can take that one idea and drop it into LinkedIn, or I can take that and blow it out into a newsletter. Um, I can talk about it on a podcast or do a video on it. Um, and so I just think, I, I think all of this is about like leverage and it's about compounding your actions around it. And as you continue to scale, finding ways to take one piece, get leverage on it so that it expands, use that as a base to then have something compound on top of that and continue to build. Um I mean, it's just this massive power law effect that I'm seeing now in, the, in, right. you know, in my own growth across platforms, if I were to look at it, because I'm just now starting to feel the benefit of it, which is crazy because I've been at this for a while now. But it's um, it's really cool once you finally start to see that flywheel start to really spin quickly.
1: Yeah, for sure. OK, so I want to talk about some of these other platforms. Uh, people say growing on Twitter is hard. I think growing a podcast is uh, insanely hard. So. I guess two things. One, what made you want to start the podcast and dive in, uh, on that side? And then two, what's, what's worked for growing it and, and, uh, getting attention.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Podcasts are super hard. Um, and it's been a brand new growth challenge for me. I would put it alongside newsletter in terms of, um, growth challenge because Mm -hmm. there's no discovery. Um, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever, like there's just no discovery mechanism for new podcasts. And so you have to bash that thing through the initial cold start problem in order to get it off the ground. The other thing with podcasts in particular is you need to kind of create almost a habit around it that people are you're building. There's kind of two pieces to a podcast. In my opinion, there's like the base, the people that you know will listen every episode and you need that to grow. And then you need the spikes to grow. Like you need The holy shit moments that kind of create the like peak virality on top of the base. Um, And it's sort of like two different growth questions. The the spikes come off the like aha moments that pop out. You need to be able to pull those out and deliver them on these different platforms, whether it's in like clips on Twitter, like you do a great job of, or whether it's on YouTube clips or TikTok, Mm -hmm. wherever you're doing it, you need to be able to deliver those quickly. Um, And then the base just has to be It's consistent, putting things out consistently that are high quality and that you're delivering something that people know that they have to listen to it because it's going to be valuable. And so, I mean, I've personally found it to be, if not the most, definitely alongside the most challenging from a growth standpoint. Um, We're growing really nicely and it's done really well. Um, And, you know, the base is building, the peaks are building. I think the guests compound because you're able to kind of leverage social proof of other guests you've had, and you're able to get better guests. Um, for me personally, I view it as just like a natural part of my overall media flywheel. Uh, um, yeah. It's a place for me to build affinity with people. It's a place for me to talk about things that I historically hadn't talked about as much on Twitter, like my interests around technology, around businesses, around investing, um, and build kind of a new a new follower base, and also deepen my relationship with my old and existing followers. Um, and it gives me a lever to be able to talk about companies I'm excited about companies I've invested in support them, you know, on a bigger stage. And that is really powerful to me and really valuable. Yeah. And and then selfishly, man, I mean, you get paid to talk to fucking, excuse me, you get paid to talk to awesome people. And that is like, what joy in the world, you know, can you imagine other than that? Like, you know, you get to, I get to sit here and have a conversation with you. Um, there are a lot of people that I think would probably pay to have an hour of your time to get to chat about this stuff. And so I get to sit here and do this as
1: like a job. That's kind of crazy and it's pretty cool. And I feel very grateful for it. Yeah. The, the, I think the superpower in podcasts is, is who you meet like you and I know each other first from Twitter a bit, but then largely from the podcast. Right. And like, you know, having a great conversation, hitting it off and then just like texting every week or every other week for the last, you know, last year.
0: Your, your trajectory is interesting to me, at least in like my view, right? Because I was outside. I didn't do any creation before, right. um, before COVID. And I had, actually, that's not true. I had this newsletter I used to send out to like a few hundred people of like things I was reading every month. Um, yeah. I think I used MailChimp for it, um, if I'm remembering correctly. And I just, I would send it out once a month. But so I, I did technically do some creator work, I suppose. But basically after COVID, and I remember I taught that course with Julian on audience building the first time we did it, which was, let's see, it was like June of 2021. We taught it. And during it, we talked about newsletters and I had just started my Substack. And when people asked why Substack, in the chat, I just kept seeing like, ConvertKit this, ConvertKit that, you should check out ConvertKit, ConvertKit, like Nathan Berry, whatever. And I was like, who, who is this guy? And then we were DMing, I think, and you had asked me to come on the show. And I was like, oh, it's funny because I've literally just heard about you from like 100 people in our damn course that mentioned ConvertKit and I want to know what's up too. Um, And that was like the first time I saw you. And then I, you know, started to learn more about your business and what you were building alongside the conversation we had. But um, it's cool for me just as like an outside observer to this world to see someone building a company in the space, but also doing it alongside their own creator journey where like the two
1: are kind of intertwined. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely been, I, I, I guess, my personal brand along the way of like building in public and, you know, yeah. like those, those being so intertwined. Let's talk about the newsletter a little bit. Um, well, one, I have to give you shit that it's still on Substack. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but uh, <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that. Uh, you know, so, so you started the, the newsletter in, I mean, it's not that old, right? We're talking nine months old kind of thing. I started the newsletter. Let me pull it up, actually. I started the
0: newsletter on May. Well, actually, that's not true. I technically started it January of 2021. And for the first um, five and a half months... um, I what I would what I did it for was that I wanted a bunch of people had asked me to send out my threads into their inboxes yeah. because they didn't like reading them on Twitter because at the time, if you recall, like 2020, threads actually weren't a thing that was enabled on Twitter. You right. had to like actually physically go and post under each tweet, and you had to do it manually. There was no thread feature. And you would screw it up.
1: Like, I remember screwing it up where you're like oh, you're all the time.
0: Then on you're like, oh, this is all fucked. Like all the time. I mean, Twitter was like, and Twitter is notoriously bad at shipping features, so it took them right. forever ever to figure out how to do it. Finally, they did. But I had started the newsletter with Substack because I was sending out every day. Yeah. Um, after my thread, the next day it would go out. And I did that through May. And then May like 15th was when I first sent out actual original content to, um, to the newsletter list. And that was when it really started growing. I had built up the list to, I'm looking at it, 13,000 um, off of just sending out my threads. The day after. And that was just like, hey, sign up if you want to get these in your inbox. Yeah. Then I kind of hit an inflection point where it grew from there once I started sending out original content to the newsletter list. And then it really hit an inflection point again in October when I started doing the midweek deep dives that actually went kind of deeper on stuff I was talking about on Twitter. And it's kind of upturned even more. So I I would say it's, you know, really eight, eight eight-ish, nine-ish months
1: old. Um, something in that range, but yeah, relatively new still. Yeah. And so you're at, uh, the amazing milestone of 69, 420, um, or, <laughs> or past it. Um, my wife was like, I posted that on Twitter and my wife saw it. And,
0: um, she was like, yeah, you know, this is great. So great, you know, really the mature behavior that I expect out of my, uh, the future father of my child, really great. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know what you expect. Like, I still think fart jokes are funny too. <laughs> it
1: right. doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm just still a kid. When uh, kids just are just still fun. That. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> even better. <laughs> On that note, what does your wife think about like all of this? Like my wife just, she thinks it's great. She's like, Convert, it's great. Proud of you, support you in anything. But if I'm like, Hey, we just, uh, uh you know, got this valuation for our secondary round or whatever. She's like, awesome. I'm happy. Like, does not care <laughs> anyone than being proud and supportive of me. Like, if yeah. I'm like, Hey, this thing brought in a million dollars. She'd be like, that's fantastic. I'm happy for it. Yeah. But like, that's, yeah. it. she does not care. <laughs> what does your wife think about yeah.
0: like everything? It's so funny you say that. So I, um, I literally like, today was, well, I was out for a walk with my wife and I was like, oh man, it's so crazy. I almost have 500,000 followers on Twitter. And she was like, uh-huh, cool. Uh, and just like looking around at some of the nature stuff. She was like, oh, that, oh, that's great. And I was like, isn't that crazy? That's a lot of people. She was like, yeah, that's great. Like, good job. Um, and so I, I find it personally to be, uh, an awesome grounding mechanism yeah, that she's right. not, you know, like awestruck by these kind of things. And and the reality is like, I'm the same exact person and super normal. The thing she gets really involved with that she loves talking about is all of my investing that I do. And she's like my secret weapon on that stuff because I will run an idea by her and she is so critical on things that she doesn't think are like a smart idea or good. And if I don't distill it and explain it in like two sentences, like I would to a child, she immediately is like, Oh, you don't really understand it that well. think like you should probably, you know, dig in a little more. Like you can't, you're not able to explain yep. it that clearly. And it's really like a smack in the face because I realize, oh shit, yeah, I don't actually understand this She's that right. deeply. And I yeah. shouldn't invest if I don't. Um, but on creator stuff, she um she largely just kind of stays um stays even keel around it. She I think she thinks it's cool. Um, I've gotten recognized in public a few times with her, which Um, I can't tell whether she thinks it's like really funny and makes fun of me about it, or if it like makes her uncomfortable. Um, but that would be like, I don't know, maybe that'll start to hit an inflection point this summer, just given the scale of it. It's like numbers wise likely to happen. Um, so we'll see.
1: Yeah. It's also different platforms are different for that, right? Like I remember, um, for our conference craft and commerce, uh, we've had a bunch of different influential people out. Um, but the difference Right. Like uh, we had Mark Manson speak one year, right. He wrote the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I don't know, like 5 million, 10 million copies. It's like something just insane insane on number of copies sold. And people recognized him. But like as an author, you know, people don't know his face. Like It's like James Clear.
0: I don't know that a lot of people would recognize James Clear necessarily, even though it's like one of the most popular books of all time.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure. And uh, but then having Casey Neistat come speak. Like he doesn't make it out of the Boise airport, like which is a small airport, before he's mobbed. You know, and so it's just. I do think the video. You're absolutely right. The video is a
0: different layer to it. Now that I'm doing more video stuff i also share i mean more than most people i share more pictures on twitter of like myself things i'm doing whatever um part of it's just vanity and like i like sharing pictures and part (laughs) of it is um is like an affinity building thing where i think when people see your face it builds a different layer of affinity and i want to build a community that's always been my goal and i that's why i still have my dms open that's why i still try to reply to people's tweets and do things like that and i mean my newsletter which we're going to talk about more i know is like i get You know, the emails come straight to my inbox from people responding to it or when people subscribe and I'm working on delivery um, and I reply to emails all the time. I mean, and I like I spend way too much time doing that relative to the like, quote unquote, return. And it's because I care about the level of affinity and I care about the community that I'm trying to build
1: around all of this. Yeah, for sure. What are some things as you've been building the newsletter? um, You know, obviously, I see you at the end of threads. I see you talking each week, you know, about, hey, make sure to subscribe. Uh, what's worked for driving subscribers? I have a very effective
0: funnel built from Twitter to my newsletter now. Um, predictable and very effective in just knowing based on how much traction a thread gets, how many subs it'll drive to my newsletter when mm-hmm. I link at the end. Um, and that, that has been the most stable, steady source of new subscribers to the newsletter. Um, has literally just been I'm posting things on Twitter every week that I know are reasonably likely to go some degree of viral, um, and based on that, I know I can drive you know up to probably like a thousand new subs to my newsletter from one of those, um, and you know then I share the pieces and those get shared, and so I don't know. I mean I've been growing it somewhere between a thousand and two thousand per week, um, and probably a thousand of that is from Twitter funnel. And then the remainder is from kind of organic growth from the actual pieces that are getting driven. Um, But I've built a really effective funnel in that regard. Yeah.
1: One thing that I see you doing is having those tweets basically saying, Hey, the news, like the next edition of the newsletter is coming out tomorrow. Or like, this is about, you know, and like a little bit of a preview. Whereas I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people, and by a lot of people, I I actually just mean me in this case, the people probably do similar things is, like have a one-time link to it or like i put it in my it's my pinned tweet or it's in my bio so like if people want to subscribe to it they'll do mm-hmm. that but you're actually having that like like that timely call to action of like i'm going to send this tomorrow and if you want it, sign up here in addition uh yep. to linking at the bottom of the thread is that working well yeah
0: yeah i think th- yeah it works well i think there are a few things that work with it one um My weekend thread is usually the distilled version of a longer form piece that I've written deep diving on something. So like a recent thread I wrote, um, How to Stop Procrastinating. It went pretty big. I mean, like almost 30,000 likes, pretty big traction. It probably did 5 million impressions. Um, Yeah. And I have a longer form piece that I've written, basically like a procrastination guide, how like the science behind it, how to stop different tactics, short term and long term projects, like a deeper dive piece. And so at the end of that thread, I will literally say this was kind of a teaser to what is a longer form piece that will be going out to my newsletter subscribers. You should join. And then I'll normally give a number of people. And the reason I do that is because it creates like a psychological social proof effect that, you know, makes people more likely when they know there's a lot of people that are doing it, you should join so that you don't miss it. And that tends to be a very effective call to action because they know exactly what they're going to get, which is a deeper dive of something they already read through 20 tweets of. So I know they liked it if they got to the end of it. And now they got to the end and they see like, oh shit, I can actually get a deeper dive version of this. That's going to go into more detail and be more valuable for me than what this was. And that I like, I think that is a very powerful call to action. If I'm just thinking about it psychologically Um, and it's not for everyone because, you know, if someone only read the first three tweets and then they turned out, they probably weren't going to be a good newsletter subscriber either because what you're trying, I mean, it's, I think there's growth with newsletters, but ultimately what you want is people that are opening and engaging and clicking, right? Um, and the one thing I'm personally proud of with the newsletter is that my open rates have actually trended up as the thing has scaled and my deliverability has gotten better because I've really focused on it over time. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I've been thinking about it personally. Um, and look, newsletters are amazing monetization channels when when used effectively. What are you doing to monetize the newsletter? Um, sponsors. Uh, I have a I have a team that um, kind of sells sponsor slots and I just have one sponsor per newsletter. I only take on sponsors from companies that I actually believe in. So like if it's a consumer company, it has to be a product that I actually use or have engaged with. Um, And then there's like a lot of B2B companies that will do things that I just believe in the product or the company uh, or have invested in the company in certain cases. Um, And so they they sell slots out. I don't know. Now they're probably sold out through Q2,
1: basically. And I pay them a percentage of what they bring in. Yeah. What do you, uh, everyone's going to be curious about this on, uh, you know, a 70,000 subscriber newsletter. Like what, how do you price the sponsorships? What, what does that go for? Uh, Yeah. you do bulk deals? Like how's all that work?
0: Yeah. It's, you know, it's variable based on the type of partnership that you're Mm -hmm. talking about. I would say like average kind of single sponsor slot is like, I don't know, probably in the three to 4k range for like a single spot at the top of one of the newsletters right now um and that's like for current slots that are being kind of pushed out if you start looking into q2 if i extrapolate my growth out i'm going to be you know closing in on 100k subs by then so those are getting priced higher because you kind of are gonna you're gonna like either either you have to pay me up front and you're paying me the current rate not you're like giving me float and so then i'll take that or if you're going to be paying then and you're signing up for it you got to be paying a higher rate um so that's kind of the way i've thought about it too and i i that together with my team because I said like if people want to pay me three months before the slot goes out they can buy at the current rate I'm fine with that that's just giving me float on the uh, on the income
1: yeah for sure do you do anything when you get that float you're just straight into the market what what are you doing with it
0: um my
1: money stuff that's a good question so just again uh, over here
0: <laughs> I I do have some do de- so I actually I invested in this company meow that um, allows corporates to um, Uh, have like DeFi enabled treasury. So you can do like immediate withdrawals, but have, you know, 4% yield. It's not like some crazy shit, but I have um, part of my S Corp, which is all of this media stuff, um, treasury that sits in that and gets me some yield. And the the main reason I do that actually is because it gets me some yield before I have to pay taxes on it. Because you know this, like you're paying quarterly taxes, which is a big advantage relative to when I was paying taxes in real time as a full-time employee. And so I have three months of, of float basically on the government that I can like take advantage of. And if I'm sitting here with 0%, I'm not taking advantage of it. And this is a good way to get a few points and, and kind of benefit from the float the government is giving me. And since I am constantly giving the government float on everything else in the world, um, this feels like a good way to, uh, to take some on
1: them. Yep. That's good. Um, okay. So on the newsletter, someone was telling me, Oh, um, and uh, Ann Lore, who writes a fantastic newsletter, she was one of the early guests. Um, her, her newsletter, uh, and I'm spitting on it, Antilly Moon is her handle on Twitter, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, she was saying like, yeah, uh, Nathan had me on the podcast and he didn't even once ask me to switch over to ConvertKit, which she did like, I don't know, a month later. Um, but like, I, I, we have a good relationship, so I can give you shit about this on a, on a, <laughs> on a podcast. What, yeah. uh, what's the thinking on Substack? What like the long-term plan there? And what would it take to get you to uh, come over to conversion. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Podcast as <laughs> a sales tool. This is great. Um, put me
0: on the spot. So I started with Substack because I thought and my view on it um, at the time and maybe, maybe still um, is that it was like a very quick um, setup and like zero customization basically. And you could have a newsletter spun up in 10 minutes, five minutes. And at the time, what I needed was to be able to just like paste my thread into a thing that just would then go out to people's emails. I really just needed something that gathered emails and then just like sent my threads out. And it was quite good for that. And now it's a very different situation. And so it's funny, like you're catching me at a funny time. You you may have seen me tweet about this a few times, but I've had direct conversations with a few of your clients, um, your bigger clients who are, I consider friends and kind of mentors, You know, James Clear, Shane Parrish, um, Mario Gabriel at The Generalist, because I'm starting to think about what makes sense for me now mm-hmm. that I'm at this scale. Because you know my issues with Substack at this scale would be um, the level of customization, which I previously didn't necessarily want. Uh, now I almost really need because I'm starting to do more things. I want you know much more personal branding. I want to be able to have customizability and how I think about referral loops with the. with the newsletter. I want to be able to think about different journeys that people can go on and get some of my evergreen pieces maybe and like sign up to get different, um, different sorts of information. And Substack just doesn't have that capability set. They've built like a very good, you know, kind of meat and potatoes solution, I think for, Mm -hmm. for people that are just like very quickly wanting to start out. But the more I've researched, you know, what you guys are building, the more I realize there's a whole lot more that I can do with it. And that also comes with. you know, maybe wanting to have a team member that is focused on it and helping me with all of those things. And I'm at the stage now from a monetization standpoint where that really makes sense for me, actually, I right. should be investing in that kind of thing so that I can do all these different things because of what we talked about. It's really profitable. And if I can give my, my subscribers who I'm so grateful for their attention, a better experience and an experience that is more um, immersive and uh, more customized to them, That's insanely valuable to me in the long term. So long way of saying it's something that, you know, you're giving me shit for it, but it's definitely something that I'm thinking about in real time. The the other issue, which, you know, I'll just say that I have about um, the Substack kind of model is they are so focused on you turning on paid um, Mm -hmm. because their entire business model is it's free. Um, and then they make 10% if you go to paid and you know, know, off of whatever your subscription revenue is. And so they see my newsletter, I imagine. I actually don't know this for a fact. They must see my newsletter and say, like, oh man, if he charged 10 bucks a month and got 5%, 10% 5%, 10% conversion, we'd make a lot of money on the newsletter. He would make a lot of money and we would make a lot of money. And so we should just keep. And so I get emails, man, just over and over again, being like, Hey, have you thought about turning on paid? Have you, have you thought about turning? And every time like, I have zero desire to do that. I'm never going to turn on paid full stop. Like w- would I ever do? Like a, you know, like what you have your secret newsletter, like some right. niche, small thing that I do paid or like a community newsletter paid, maybe But that not for my main thing that is like what I'm sending out that I'm trying to build because I want to get I want to reach a million people. That's that's what I want to do. I don't care about the million dollars that I could make off of this newsletter if I charge people 10 bucks. I want to reach a million people. And so um, I just like that starts to just annoy me, honestly, like, no, I don't. You know, it, it hasn't changed. And every time I say. No, I have no intention to do that. But And I get it from their perspective because to a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Like that's right. your business model. You modeling. just
1: cost them money right now. <laughs> you I cost them a them lot of money. money.
0: But yeah, well, I make them money in the sense that every time I tweet out my Substack newsletter, <laughs> yeah. they get a branding push and that's worth money to them, right? They're reaching For a sure. ton of people. That's worth something. Um, but like someone like me or someone like Packy, even worse, Packy probably is going to make $2 million off his newsletter this year, a million dollars, like some, a big amount of money, $0 to Substack. Right. um because it's all sponsor stuff. I get it and I understand their business model and why it is the way it is and they've clearly done well and have you know they're sort of a verb like people you know like the Substack right. you know people are want to create a Substack they use that to mean newsletter. Um and I get it. I I think now I'm at the stage where um a change is is kind of in the uh, in the cards.
1: You know, I think the level of customization that you can have when then you talk about leverage. Actually, it's probably the biggest thing, right? Because in when you're running a Substack, everything is real time content. And like you brought up uh, my like private paid newsletter, which was really private. And then Sam Parr talked about it on uh, My First Million, which was great. Like, I was thrilled. I, I think it drove like 15 grand of revenue. Of people buying it <laughs> just from him mentioning that. Uh, but then it became like not at all private. So it was like, okay, I've got like 25 DMs asking for the link. So let me. Let me just post it on Twitter, but like that's a a a paid newsletter, you know, that's set up as an automated email sequence, right? So I can make it once, I can gradually add to it, I can tweak it, and it's just running. Like I've got hundreds of people now uh, that are going to get an email this Friday that, like, I wrote forever ago. You know, it's this thing that I tweet. So
0: I just think in your case, And and that's amazing. That's like a okay. very cool thing. And I've never really thought about that, right? So I saw your secret newsletter when Sam talked about it. I listened to it and then I saw you tweet about it and I bought it. Um, and I bought it partially because I was interested in what you're writing out. Also partially because I was interested in seeing how you were using it because I'm in the diligence process. I'm trying to learn about this <laughs> yeah. stuff. Um, and I think that is so interesting because you're almost doing a course then. You're teaching someone right. a course um, in the format of a newsletter. Um, and as I think about my own ecosystem and a lot of the evergreen things I put out, um, people constantly ask me to do an ebook or do certain things. This is a much cooler way for me to do that, actually, um, in a custom in a kind of branded format. That's not like, hey, here's my Gumroad uh, or whatever right. you know link to buy my ebook. Um, no knock on that. I don't know anything about them, but like that's what I would imagine the alternative would be in my mind. And if I can just set up, you know, you guys have ConvertKit Commerce. Like I use, I use it for actually some coaching already. I don't know if I've talked nice. to you about that, but I have like some coaching that I do through there, advisory work, etc. I think it's great. If I can just like integrate directly into that, and I have email and I have, you know, commerce and it's Stripe enabled and it's super easy, it's straight into my bank account. That's like a pretty cool bespoke thing that just exists um, entirely ready to set up
1: within that environment. Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, is the like the level of customization and then automation, right? Because at any point, so many of these platforms uh, that people are using are built around a certain business model. And with ConvertKit, this is like full sales pitch now, so I apologize in <laughs> advance. But with ConvertKit, it, it's uh, it's customizable to any business model, right? The ad business model, it's like great, full support for that. Uh, you could use content snippets that you're reusing in your automations, like you know across the board. If you're selling products, you know we integrate with everyone from Teachable to Shopify to having our own our own thing. Um, paid newsletters, that's in there as well. So like the creator mm-hmm. gets to choose the business model that works best for them. Mm-hmm. Rather than on a substack or a Patreon or one of these other platforms, you know, um, where it's like, no, this is the business model that we support. Like yeah. conform to it or find something else.
0: Yeah, which is so it's funny you say it that way. It's like, it's so anti-the creator economy. Um, hmm. just in the ethos of it, actually, as I think about it, when you say it that way, I'm like, the creator economy is all about. You know, power to the creators and letting them be creative and work on what they work, work on, and giving them tools that hopefully enable them to work however they want to work. And then you have these platforms that like actually force you into their business model if you want to, you know conform with it and do it their way. Um, that is it's challenging. It's like against the it's against the ethos of it in some ways. Um I also just look, I mean, i <laughs> I'm big on um trusting smart friends on things and you know, when I go look at it, newsletters I admire, um, you know, whether it's James Clear's 321 or Shane Parrish's, you know, uh, Brain Food or Mario at The Generalist. And I'm looking and I'm like, man, that looks really nice. It's a custom template. It, you know, has their branding on it. It just, look, and then I look at mine and I'm like, this looks like, you know, it looks like a kid made it. It looks like, well, first off, it looks like my old website. I'm about to launch a new website, which is going to be dope. And so part of me was also just like, New website, new year, new me, you know, type vibe where I was like, huh, I should really level up my game the same way when I got my mic set up and I leveled up my game for like doing stuff like this. I just started to feel like, man, I'm being left behind. I need to level up my game if I want to take this seriously. I also have to admit I am um, hugely supportive of people that are building businesses and bootstrapping businesses. And so, I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of your Twitter content. I just love the idea also of like supporting other creators that are going out and building. Um, So that's another thing that's just in my mind as I look at this. I don't mean to make this an easy sell for you either, (laughs) by the way. I need to like think of some tough questions to hit you with to like, you know, will you commit to this or whatever it is? I need to stick a mic in your face at some point. But um, all of that is definitely weighing on me.
1: Yeah, that's good. Well, we'll talk more of figuring out like the logistics and get you in touch with our migrations team. <laughs> you know, do you oh one? man, we're really, really accelerating times,
0: this. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know, depending on when this gets released, maybe I'll be on ConvertKit by the time this gets released. If you guys work fast, if not, um, I expect there will be
1: changes um, for me personally in the next, in the next couple of months. Sounds good. Uh, Last thing I want to touch on is just kind of the monetization side of things um, of like you went from leaving your job where there's uh, like consistent salary, you know, consistent income there. Um, and, and you've got a bunch of different channels for monetization. And I'm curious where like where you're driving revenue and, and what's working. this. if there's anything where you're like, this is awesome, but I don't plan to do it again. Or, you know, I'm doubling down over here. So broadly speaking, my universe is Twitter newsletter
0: um, podcast. Um, and then those are kind of like creation channels. And then from that there, there were like the courses that I did. There's a job board Mm -hmm. that I have. There was an advisory business that I spun up that's kind of separate, but it's somewhat related. Um, There's a couple of SaaS businesses that I'm excited to talk to you about soon that are still secret, but there will be some cool build in public around some micro SaaS stuff that's happening. Um, And that's kind of, you know, and then I have the fund. And that's Mm -hmm. like a separate, I think of the fund as like wealth building. It's not really income generating. I actually charge zero fees on it. Um, But that's, you know, there's, I'm investing in things for the long term. And so that's kind of a big part of my long-term wealth that I think about. Um, The monetization, I think of it like all kind of, is, is, um, in this like mishmash, right? Like the podcast is sort of a separate company. And so there's sponsors for the podcast and there's revenue that comes off that. And it's great. Um, Twitter and newsletter, I think of as connected. The newsletter is obviously monetized certain things about Twitter, I suppose are monetized. Although again, I kind of think of it all as one, um, within like the brand and kind of the franchise being sold. And then I've spun up a few, you know, businesses on the side, which I don't really, talk about a ton publicly, but like things that are cash flow generating that somewhat relate to my personal brand, but are also kind of uncorrelated in a lot of ways. Um, the SaaS stuff that I mentioned being some of that, um, and then, you know, some of the advisory work I do, which is really just, um, you know, supporting entrepreneurs, startups, founders, as they're building things, just based on my experience within, um, you know, within the world of finance strategy, et cetera. Yeah. I, I love it. There's a lot of different things there. Too much, probably. <laughs> probably um, too in much. terms of like stretching my brain in different directions.
1: Are you uh, already exceeding income from, you know, uh, creator income yeah. exceeding uh,
0: full time job income? I left like my formal separation. I was probably already at like, probably at like three x what I was making when I left. Um, yeah, uh, like on a run rate basis. Right. Um, and now I'm probably at, yeah, I mean I'm probably at five to five plus X what I was making. And obviously it's not W2. So I've talked about that in certain things I've written about that it's like, you know, in the world we live in, this type of income is not like I can't, you know, I wouldn't be able to probably go to Bank of America and convince them to give me a mortgage on a new house. I'm probably go buy, buy that house in cash potentially, right. but I, I might not be able. To, and I'm not saying that as a flex. I'm just saying, like, it's nuts. You can't get yeah. a mortgage, but um, but you can, you know, go go buy it. Like Greg Eisenberg, my co-host of the podcast, literally has not been able to get a mortgage for his that for his place that he's buying. And like, he's like, look, I have enough cash in this bank account to buy this place like several times and you're not going to get a mortgage. Like, it makes no sense. Um, but it's, it's a huge opportunity and you th- I mean, you work with a lot of creators. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of income and yet it's 1099. And so it's right in traditional institutions, they're not able to underwrite it effectively and it's tough. Um, but I'm in, a, I mean, I'm in a good place. I also just, more importantly than any of that like i'm not a big money guy i don't have like a, i'm wearing an apple watch like i'm not a fancy watch guy i'm not you know i don't have like fancy cars and stuff for me i um i love the freedom and i'm huge mm-hmm. on this whole concept of like time billionaire i heard it originally from a tim ferriss podcast and um i wanted freedom of time uh, relative to my prior role, because I was working 90, 100 hour weeks, man, I was doing it was like the, the finance meme, I was just working myself into the ground. And I loved it. I learned a lot, amazing group of people um, that will be my friends for life. But I wanted to be able to spend time with my kid when he's born, like, I right. want to be a really present father, I want to be a, an influence, I want to be able to coach his Little League team. Like, I want mm-hmm. to be able to whether I don't know, maybe you won't play Little League. I played baseball, so I want to do <laughs> yeah. But like I want to be able to do those kind of things. And I want to be around. I want to be able to support my wife, be a great husband. And I have just found in this new world as I've started all this, that I'm so much more present with my family, with my wife, um, with my sister. Um because I'm not stressed all the time. I'm doing something that is much more in my zone of genius. Like I'm spending time putting my energy towards things that I know I'm really good at. I'm playing my game, not someone else's. And that is just an unlock. And for me personally, like I would never I could be making the exact same amount. I could probably be making less and feel so good about it because uh because I just feel that energy around what I'm doing on a daily basis and I feel more present on a daily basis and less stressed. And that I would trade almost anything for that. Yeah, that's a, that's
1: amazing. And I think the the craziest thing about this creator world, right, is that you can build build a job for yourself, build a business for yourself where you have that, not only that income um, that matches or exceeds it, but then you get the time as well. And you're like, wait, I can have my cake and eat it too. So anyway, I, I love it. You're a fantastic example for everyone else who's in this space. Um yeah, following your stuff. Uh, where should people go to check out the new site? Well, the new site, depending on when this is launched, it's it's going to be
0: sahobloom.com, which is my same site. It just previously looked like a kid made it because it was a kid, which was me, <laughs> tech-inept Um And I actually hired this amazing team who I will announce when I put it out that that worked on it and put it together. Um, but it'll be at sahobloom.com. And then you can find me um, on Twitter at sahobloom.com. Um, I won't give you my newsletter link because it might be changing. So <laughs> we, uh, we can talk about that later, Nathan. Send me a text. Um, but good. no, man, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Always a pleasure.
1: Sounds good. We'll talk soon.